The day I realized that speaking is a performance uh, was when I began becoming a much better speaker uh, because I applied all those tools of, of gestures and eye contact and all that. But until you realize you're, you're being asked to be a performer when you speak. When I talk to people about presenting, no matter the size, the response is usually one of fear, anxiety, and something to be avoided if at all possible. Ask people about presenting to hundreds or thousands of people, and with most, the look before they even respond is one of abject horror. I felt that way earlier in my career, but I've come to really enjoy the whole experience, from idea creation, preparation, and the presentation, or as you just heard, the performance itself. So wherever you are on the spectrum of fear or energy, around speaking, you are in for a treat. Today, I have the great privilege to share with you Sam Harrison. Sam is a sought-after and popular speaker, accomplished writer for organizations like Fast Company, author of four books, coach, mentor, and most enjoyable, a true Southern gentleman, and one of the kindest and most helpful people I've ever met. So without further ado, from the studio of Rule 29, I'm your host, Justin Ahrens, and this is Design Of, a storytelling exploration featuring interviews with known and unknown extraordinary people doing extraordinary things. And to get things started, I ascend to begin his story, well, you know, from the beginning. I started off, uh, Justin, in, in, well, going back to college days, I, I majored in, I kind of had an open curriculum, even though open curriculums didn't exist in those days. I just had a good advisor. And he had me in touching in design and marketing and in journalism. And so that's where I concentrated. And, and I did that because uh, I'm a oops in my family. I, I was, I came along many years after my parents thought they were through with having children. My brothers, I had two brothers and they are 16 and 17 years older than me. My closest sibling is uh, my sister who's 11 years older than me. So my brothers, by the time I was, uh, of any age were already out of college and, and working and they were both in first in journalism and then they started their own what was then called marketing communications firm integrated communications where they did branding pr advertising a little bit of all of it and one was in atlanta and one was in dc uh and so i after college went with my brother in atlanta uh, with his agency, and we worked with Coke and Delta and a lot of other professional firms, uh, professional organizations, insurance organizations, and uh, uh, medical organizations. So I, I, I went from that uh, for many, for several years. I stayed with him, and 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 we we did a lot of work. But we found ourselves sort of gravitating toward managing uh, those associations, in addition to doing their uh, marketing work and point of sale pieces, we started managing some associations and, and it, it was a good lesson in, for me to not follow, not follow the money uh, because it, it was lucrative, uh, more lucrative actually than what we were doing with Coke and Delta and other firms, uh, but it was very time consuming. It wasn't something I really enjoyed. So, but the time came to leave that and, and I was pretty well off financially where I didn't have to to do that kind of thing. And at that point, I decided two things I wanted to do. I wanted to write. Uh, writing is part of my DNA. 
uh, in, in my family and in my life. And so I wanted to write. I didn't know what. I knew I wanted to write some articles. Thought maybe I might want to write a novel. Thought maybe about writing some kind of nonfiction. And I wanted to teach uh, somewhere. I had done some classes, just kind of visiting speaker. And I really wanted to teach probably, I thought that time at a university. And so I went away. We had a place up in North Carolina, the mountains at that time. And I took two months and went up and sat by the fire by myself and wrote what I thought was going to be the great American novel. And uh, it, it, it sat in a drawer for a long time. And, and finally, I got an agent to look at it. And she said, you, you've got something here, but it needs a a lot of work and needs a lot of changes. And, and I totally agreed with it, but I never got around to, to making those changes. And so I started concentrating, well, okay, where am I going to teach? And one day, again, connectivity, I was walking across a parking lot in Atlanta and I ran into a guy that I knew from the advertising world. And we started comparing those. I hadn't seen him in years. And he said, well, I teach at this place called Portfolio Center which I knew of, we had hired people from there, which is a graduate studies program in Atlanta for writers and graphic designers, photographers. He said, why don't you, uh, maybe you ought to think about coming to teaching a class there. And I went over and interviewed with this privately owned school, went and interviewed with the owner and started teaching and loved it. And so the teaching uh, led to class notes and those class notes led to writing my first book, which was called Zing. I could have done a whole show on Sam's four books and his thoughts that cover the creative process, idea generating, and the latest creative Zing. By the way, it's my personal favorite. His books feature fresh insights and advice, techniques, and examples for having a creative career in life, along with suggestions on how to effectively present your ideas to decision makers. Like Sam's previous books, content is presented in digestible single-page messages for on-the-go people. But enough about his books. We're focused on speaking this time. And then people started asking me to speak. Now, I had never enjoyed speaking at all. I, in fact, it petrified me. Uh, really? I had spoken. You're, yeah. so, you're, so, you're just so natural uh, uh, at it. Yeah. Thank you. I, but it, it didn't come naturally. I... Uh, I spoke throughout my career. Of course, I made hundreds of presentations and I was pretty good at that because I was passionate about the content and that'll carry you a long way. Uh, good, good speakers will be good presenters, but good presenters aren't always good speakers, mm -hmm. uh, public speakers. Yeah. And, and so I was a good, pretty good presenter. Now, I could have been a lot better if I had the tools I have now as for speaking skills then, but, but they carried me through and, and, and But I really didn't enjoy it. I, I, I would almost throw up before every presentation I would make. And if I had to give a speech to shareholders or to other larger audiences, it, it, it would just scare me for days. I had taken a, a um, speaking, an intensive speaking workshop, like a five day from this firm that, that trained speakers back when I was still in the in-house, uh, head of that in-house group, because I knew I needed to improve my speaking skills. And so I picked up the tools, you know, knowing when to pause, knowing eye contact, knowing gestures. Uh, 
but I wasn't still wasn't that strong of a speaker. I mean, I got I did okay and I got my message across, but I wasn't a strong speaker. I, and so, what changed? <laughs> you know, the one thing that changed it, Justin, was I realized that speaking is a performance. The day I realized that speaking is a performance. Uh, was when I began becoming a much better speaker uh, because I applied all those tools of, of gestures and eye contact and all that. But until you realize you're, you're being asked to be a performer when you speak, even when you make presentations as well. And once I realized that, and that, and that doesn't mean, and I try to coach people on this all the time when I'm training other people on speaking is, it's, it doesn't mean when you perform that you have to be fake or contrived. I mean, you still want to be yourself. You just want to be the best version of yourself. And Malcolm Gladwell, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard him speak. Here's the situation. I, I'm a writer. Part of what I do to make my living is I go and give speeches at conferences like this. And Oh yeah, but I'm sure you've read his books. Yeah, he does really good. But he's he says he's the most introverted person that you'll ever meet. That you he's the last person that you want to sit to next to. He says uh, at a dinner party. But he knows that when he goes on stage that he's performing. And so I tell myself every time before I walk on the stage, here comes Sam Harrison, the speaker, and and I it it raises my energy level. Uh, I, I, I'm there to help people that I'm speaking to, and I'm there to, to give a performance during that time I'm on stage. really valuable. Why did I fly all the way out here across the country? What I was curious about was how that Sam Harrison, the speaker, went about structuring his talk, his, his preparation, his core process, when developing one of his engaging, charming, and inspirational presentations. I wanted all the secrets. And in classic Sam Harrison style, he was, of course, more than willing to share his core approach. It's the way if it's if it's a brand new, let's say it's a totally new talk that I've never given before. And so I've got to develop the content and then come up with how I'm going to style it. Uh, for me, it all starts with index cards. I, I, I take a deck of index cards and I write down all of the key messages, key ideas I want to get across. And usually I'll put those up on a wall and I will go through them kind of in my head is how I would give that talk. And so that causes me to totally rearrange what I have. And sometimes I take something away. A lot of times I'm adding on new thoughts to it. And that goes on for days usually. Uh, I'll leave it up there and come back to it and get up in the middle of the night and think of more. And then from those index cards once i feel like i have the bones the basic talk together then i sit down in my laptop and i script out every word of the talk front to bottom and that takes a long time but and i, I double space it so i've got plenty of room and then i do a table read i go through that talk again and i'm editing it uh, as i go and striking through and then re so that's that whole process, that writing process of writing and rewriting and writing and rewriting. And then once I get that pretty well where I'm comfortable with it, I, I start on my slides and, and come up with what slides. Slides to me are my cues. I, I, I would, 
a lot of a lot of speakers can work without slides. I I, I rely on slides. I don't. I, they're not a crutch to me. I, I'm very careful. If you you've seen my slides, they're either an image or they're one or two words. I mean, I don't I don't put all of my content on my slides. What I mainly am using them for is to let me help me go through my talk and to and to hopefully add an element to the talk as well. And then once I have that put together, then it's again that process of starting to practice and rehearse. And you know, there's a difference between practicing and rehearsing. Practicing is just going through, flipping through your slides and going through your talk in your head, or maybe aloud. Rehearsing is actually acting as if you're giving the talk, standing up, walking through it, doing your gestures, paying attention to everything you do. So that's my process. And then when, once I have it like I want it, I make a list of all of my slides. And it's just basically a, a numbered list of my slides describing each one of them. And that becomes my Bible. I mean, I, I make copies of that and I carry it around with me. And I more or less memorize that mm -hmm. uh, list of slides and use it to help me. So. It, that's that's how I put it together. And I, I started trying to understand my audience, uh, whoever I'm speaking to right then. And, and I go through um, what that audience is like. And I, I just live with that audience. I mean, I kind of see myself on stage and live with that audience. So that's, the, that's that process. And then when I get to where I'm speaking, the very first thing I do, and I'm curious if you do this as well, is I make a point to go to the room that I'm going to be speaking in. And yeah, if man, I'm I traveling- before, I do that before I check in, if I can, the, the second after I check in my room, or if I can't check into my room, the first thing I do is <clears throat> go into the room. And I love it when no one's in there, so I can just kind of walk around and feel the space. Does, does that make sense to you? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do the same thing. I, I will, I will uh, forego dinner if I have to to go to if if the, if the room is not in the hotel where I'm staying, uh, I'll I'd rather go to the hotel. I mean to go to the, the conference center or wherever it is and see that room and stand in it and and like you say, hopefully by myself, so I can walk around in that space see what the obstacles might be, if there are anything that might interfere with me. But more importantly, just to get that place in my head. And it's one less thing I have to worry about for the next day. Yeah. I mean, you know, as a speaker, you've got enough in your mind already. And, and so if you can go in already knowing what the room is like and what you're being faced with, then that's one less thing you have to worry about. And so I try to minimize every other distraction that I can uh, from the time I get on the plane or start heading to where I'm going to the time I walk on stage. I mean, I know some, I know one speaker, Sally uh, Hogshead, she says she already has her clothes laid out uh, where she's gonna wear everything the night before. So she doesn't have to make those kind of decisions either when she gets up the next day. So seeing the rooms, incredibly important and, yeah, and I think, I, ideal, and ideally seeing the technology you know if you can yeah. go through your slides you know in advance yeah I just I really for me uh, your processes mm -hmm. uh, were similar in this, uh, with the exception that I create an outline develop my slides 
you know, kind of with the outline. And then what I do is I then practice giving, I rehearse, um, like do a live rehearsal uh, several times. And then I go back to rewrite um, or shorten or, you know, expand a story. Um, just because I, for me, it, it, it's a feel for me. It's the slides are a total cue. Like, you know, sometimes if for some reason you do get distracted or if you see someone in the crowd that's really not paying attention and somehow that gets into your head and you miss, you know, you like you kind of go off off for a second. I know the next slide is going to bring me back, you know, to the narrative. But for me, the reason seeing the room is so important is I visualize <clears throat> how well it's going to go. That's part yeah. of, of my processes. Uh, just continue to visualize how, how it's going to go. Because, you know, sometimes you'll have screens to the sides of you. Sometimes you have screens behind you. And there's certain types of rooms, like I like being in the middle of the room so I can, you know, talk to the whole room. But when your stage is off to the side or something, you know, it's good to know that so you can walk in feeling confident how you're going to approach it. Uh, does that, do you, you know, do the same kind of thing? Exactly, yeah. You know, because sometimes there'll be uh, obstacle in, in the room. Some, and I, I want to know, too, if I'm going to be, sometimes I like to come off the stage even and go partly out in the audience uh, from time to time. And sometimes, like you mentioned, the beach balls. I mean, I, I do, it's, of course, depends on the audience, how much playfulness I have in my talks and how is a great form for being playful because people that attend that conference are high energy and, and want it to be so. But I've always have some kind of interaction with the audience. So I want to know exactly where they're going to be, how close they're going to be to me, whether or not the audio will allow me to actually walk off the stage if I want to and interact with someone. So all of those things are, are really important. Now, when, when uh, once I've seen that room, uh, when I get back to the hotel that night, I do a full rehearsal again with that room in mind so I can actually picture myself there. I use the full stage when I talk. I mean, I try not to frantically pace back and forth, but I definitely try to own that space. I want to use that whole stage. So I, I see myself doing that. Uh, and then the morning of, or the, the day of, uh, I try to make as few other decisions as possible. So I've got that talk in my audience in my head. Uh, I do a meditation. Uh, I'm, I meditate, I'm a daily meditator, but I, I definitely do a, a morning meditation to clear my mind. And then after I do that meditation, I counter that by playing energetic music. I mean, I have certain songs that I play every time before I talk. Okay, uh, give, me, give, me, give me one of the secret songs. I got to know. <laughs> uh, uh, they have, one of them is, uh, I won't tell you all of them. One of them is uh, R.E.M.'s uh, Losing My Religion. Love it. And for no reason other than I just like the beat of it. It has nothing to do with the, with the lyrics uh, of it. But I just like that song. I love the melody of it. Michael Stipe, I sat next to him on a plane. You know how that title, you know where he got that title? No. It's, it's a Southern, and I should have known this once he said it, I knew it. But in the South, we, we talk about, uh, you know, like that woman would cause me to lose my religion. 
oh, 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 that's good enough. It'd make me lose my religion. And that's how he came up with that, that the title of that song. You mean to tell me that one of the writers and performers of the song that's in your like Sam Harrison get hyped mix, you sat, you got to sit next to him. Yeah, he was on a. I was sitting in first class, uh, and yeah, he he was my seatmate. I don't know. No, were you already using his song before that? Were you able to share that with him or? No, I don't. Okay. No, I don't think so. No. No, it must have been after that. I would have shared it with him. I remember he was reading Jane. He was reading Jane magazine. I don't know if that magazine still lists when it first came out. And I had him, he signed, a, a, he gave it to me when he finished it. And he signed it for one of my uh, nieces uh, who was a big fan of his. But, but yeah, but it had no association with me using that song because of that. I just, I just, I've always liked that song a lot. And, <clears throat> I like the energy. Excuse me. <clears throat> I like the energy of it. And there are two or three others. Uh, one, <clears throat> one is more spiritual, uh, and then the other one's another rock and roll song. So, but anyway, I leave the room with high energy. Sometimes I have my earbuds in and, and play it as I walk down as well. Okay, so you stay in your room until until right before showtime. You you get hyped and then you go straight to your your venue. I go straight to the venue. I try to meet some of the audience uh, if any of them are there as they come in. I obviously have you know meet whoever's introducing me or whoever the coordinator is. But then right before I'm going on, I get by myself. Either go to the bathroom, go somewhere, and get myself really centered again and quiet so that I don't say another word to anybody until I walk into the stage. I love it. And then like this, and I, I have a mantra that I do and that I train everybody that I coach um, that I learned years ago. And I start doing this weeks before the talk, but I do it right before I go on as well. And it's, it's four sayings I say to myself. Um, uh, look, I have to try to remember now. I'll cut this part out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to speak. Uh, the first one is I'm excited to speak. I'm excited to have the opportunity to do this. I'm excited to speak. The second one is I appreciate my audience. I'm grateful that I have an audience to speak to. I really appreciate them. And the third one is I'm here to help. And that's the big one. If I can take, if I can say I'm here to help, it takes the attention off of me and I'm not self-conscious and I'm more conscious of how I can help the people that I'm about to speak to. And then the last one is, I know what I know. Hmm. I've been working on this. I know it. I know what I know. If I don't know it, I don't say it. I just talk about what I know. And that I've taught that mantra to a lot of people, particularly people that I'm coaching that get nervous before they speak, it's really helpful. And so I always do that. That's probably the last thing I do before I walk on stage. So you walk on stage. Um, as you're giving your talk, I was trying to tell someone this phenomena um, just a few months ago. I don't know if you have this. 
for some reason when I'm really locked in and the energy is great in the room and I feel, I don't know, I can't even explain how great that feels. There are times where I'm giving the talk, but sometimes there's a separate conversation going on in my mind. Um, meaning like, um, hey, you know, uh, don't forget to really nail this next point. You know, the video is coming up. Like these two, there's, it's weird. It's like these two consciousnesses going on at the same time. Do you ever have that? Absolutely. It's the most unbelievable feeling in the world. It is, right? I know exactly. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. You, you can be, and you're totally into your talk and can be given it. It's not like you've memorized it so you don't know what you're saying, but yet this is other little piece in your brain that's telling you what you need to do next or what you shouldn't do or that, oh yeah, maybe I forgot that. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, or sometimes it'll be like, okay, look back at that one person. They're not paying attention or let's make that person laugh or, or it's weird. It's it's. Oh, good. I, I thought, um, cause I was the person I was sharing that with, they're like, really? I am so nervous. Like I can't get past, you know, what's in front of me. And I was like, oh, it's a bummer. Cause I, I feel like it's a really cool part of presenting. Um, well, let me, let me ask you this question because I, I do want to get back to, um, you know, some of your writing and that sort of thing. But I think for many of my audience who, um, our speakers or, or uh, want to be better speakers and, and, and or present quite often. What, share with me um, a presentation that just went horribly, you know, um, bad. And then, and we don't have to dig in, into too much of it. And, and I'd love to also hear about, you know, when you feel or a particular time a talk went really, really well. The reason I share that with you is because uh, many, many years ago, when Rule 29, like, you know, uh, I think we had just turned 10. We won this big award and I was asked to come speak down at this huge conference in Orlando. It was like, it, it was at this massive resort. They flew um, my wife and one of my kids down. And I, I, and I was so pumped. And I walked in this room saying, this is not exaggeration. This room probably could hold 800, 900 people and 10 people showed up. And I remember thinking to myself, walking up the stairs, I'm, I remember thinking, I am going to give these 10 people the best flipping presentation that they've seen this whole conference. <laughs> and I have no idea if I did, because when they were done, no one asked questions, they all left. Um, but I was like, so I don't know after, actually if it was bad, but my ego was definitely, um, you know, uh, uh, beat up a little bit uh, because the room was very, very empty. I know that feeling. I, the worst thing in the world to me is to, and I'll, I'll give an example in a minute, but just responding to what you just said. In general, the worst thing in the world is to speak in too large of a room. Mm. I'd much rather speak in a room that's packed, people just packed in, almost sitting in each other's lap, than be in a room that's a big ballroom and half full because it just dissipates the energy. You know, it's like oh, yeah. New York City. The reason New York City is so vibrant is because everybody's crammed on Manhattan Island, and so there's so much energy there. So I mean, the room was so big, my voice echoed. <laughs> so every time I felt we're doing something, I felt like this failure echo. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah, and 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 because, and you may have experienced this too. I don't know, but 
because I, you know, I'm either always speaking on creativity related topics or I'm speaking on public speaking on, on how to improve your, how to express yourself. And when I'm speaking on creativity, particularly to where it's not a conference, whether it's like AIGA group or, or other smaller groups, uh, a lot of times they'll, the meeting planner, whoever it is, will say, well, since you're speaking on creativity, we're going to try to find somewhere really creative for you to speak. And so they'll, uh, they'll find, uh, like, I remember one time it was a, ch- a children's museum that they selected, which was fine. It was a beautiful little museum. I, f- I forget what city it was in. But the place that I was speaking was in the atrium of the museum. It wasn't in a separate room. It was in the open atrium of the museum. And about halfway through my, first of all, I couldn't do my slides because they couldn't darken the room. So I had to work from my, fortunately I had my list of slides. That was the only way I could keep up where I was. But then about halfway through my talk, a school bus pulls up and here comes a whole school bus loaded with kids into the atrium, top of their lungs. And so that that's the kind of thing I faced. Another time I was in New England, speaking in uh, some town in New England, and they decided they would have the meeting at a tavern, an old tavern that was built back in the 1800s uh, that had just been renovated, which sounded fine. But when I got there, the, it was like one large, the tavern was one large room. Half the room was a dining room, half the room was a bar. And the only separation was a waist high divider. And so <laughs> they, they assured me there would be nobody in the bar maybe one or two people coming in for a drink. And I started my talk and happy hour started in the bar. And there must've been 50 people having happy hour on one side of the bar while I'm trying to give a talk on the other side. I got about 15 minutes into it and said, drinks for everybody. And I bought everybody in my audience a drink. drink. And just sat down and just answered questions. I mean, I couldn't even get through my talk. It was so loud. So uh, those, those, you know, it's endless, the different kind of experiences you can have uh, that go bad. But so those are the worst. As far as uh, those are public speaking ones, uh, my worst idea presentation, work presentation that I remember is I was trying to, get business with the um, I think it's called the Retail Marketing Association. We were trying to, I forget even what, we were trying to get some marketing business with them and could not see the guy, could not see the guy. I was in Atlanta. I spent, I was spending a lot of time in New York. And finally he agreed to see me. He said, you can come up here July the 3rd at six o'clock, I'll meet with you. And he assumed that I wouldn't do it since the next day was July the 4th. I said, I'll be there. So I took my whole team up there and I walked in July the 3rd at 6 p.m. He's the only one in his office building. Everybody else is gone. And I walk in and he's, he said, you've got 10 minutes <laughs> to, 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 to give your presentation. And I said, I, I said, look, we, we came up here uh, all the way up to see you. I said, tell you what, you give me 30 minutes. And if you're not 
please what you're hearing, uh, we'll, we'll leave happily and I won't ever bother you again. Fortunately, an hour and a half later, we were still sitting there and, uh, and, and we did eventually get the business, but he, first thing he, he, he had said was, you got 10 minutes and all I want to hear is the bottom line. But so, you know, you, you never know what you're going to face. That's why you have to prepare for anything. One of the things I struggle with at times is when I'm asked to speak and share something new is what should that idea be about? Where's that idea going to come from? You know, kind of what what process should I take? And so I was curious about uh, Sam and how he went about coming up with the next great talk idea. A lot of times it comes about when I write articles for, you know, Fast Company and and how we used to write a lot for how and other publications and a lot of times they'll come out of those articles that i write i mean that that would get me thinking about something or or like you know when i, I transitioned from just speaking about creativity into speaking on uh, presentation skills and speaking skills because i kept having people after i spoke tell me, you know, I do okay with coming up with ideas. I just can't get my boss or can't get my client to accept them. And so I started adding a bit of content about, okay, here's how you can also present your ideas. And that went along well, that eventually I just started doing a whole series of talks on and coaching on how to present ideas. So, uh, yeah, but most of the time, I don't know, it, it's, it's a combination of ways. It comes from, email, sometimes email, people will email me after my talk and say, you know, that was good. I'd love to hear you expand on this particular point. And eventually that might become a talk as well. Yeah, it's good. I, for me, often, if I give a, a talk or a similar talk a couple of times, I pay attention a lot to the questions that are asked. Uh, oftentimes, yeah. there's a consistency of that question. There's something there. I found to dig into a little bit. It may not be a whole talk, it might just be a section of a talk, but uh, those are some of the things that um, that I've tried. Well, I want to talk so about- what do you do? What do you do the morning? I wanted to hear what you do the morning of a talk. Uh, the, how, how do you prepare to go into a talk? Uh, well, there's two different things that I do. First, if, if I'm later in the conference, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I've been at a conference where um, this happens actually quite a bit at how I'll have a topic and my whole thing will be dialed in and then I'll go to the opening presentation or one of the presentations before my talk and there'll be some similar content. And I don't normally worry about that unless it's a big stage where everyone's there. So I remember two years ago at how um, Maybe it was a couple of years different than that, but uh, Susan Kane, who we actually did some work with, she's the author of Quiet. Yeah. She had given her talk, and there was a whole section of my talk where her and I, we just were totally parallel, totally unplanned, <laughs> similar subjects. And I'm like, dang it, everyone's here, and I'm talking tomorrow. So I remember I was supposed to, you know, go to dinner and do some other things. I just bailed and I went back to my room and I re rehearsed and redid parts of it, like brought some of her talk into mine to, you know, solidify some of the concepts, but then like rewrote a section of it. That happens maybe once every couple of years. Uh, but my, my um, practice and rehearsal, I think that was a really good um, differentiation you made. 
I, I practice a lot like going through and say, okay, I think I'll say this and you know, I'll do this and here's what I'm gonna do here. But for me, I have to rehearse it. I have to like put the timer on and give the talk. I stand up, I go into a room by myself and it can't be, it's gotta be at least a decent sized room, you know, like my office or living room, whatever. And I would just give the talk a couple times. And then if I have a chance, uh, I'll share it with someone, usually Sarah. She's a really good critic of, of mine. And uh, she'll give me some really good feedback of like, hey, you're too long here or whatever else. And then I give it a day and do it again. And then when I get to the venue, your routine and my routine are very similar. I'm like, hey, yeah, it's great to see you and everyone talk to everyone. But then I try to get to that room right away. If my talk is a few days later, I, I will see it the next day. And I'll even go see a talk in that room if I can to see, yeah. you know, what are some of the challenges that room may have. Um, because I just, I just, I think I, I wouldn't have been able to articulate it this way, but I think what you said was perfect. And that is, I want to get rid of any distractions. I want to just give the best performance possible. And I don't want to have to worry if the screen's off to the side or it's really hot in the room. Like sometimes even I like going and seeing how hot it's going to be in the room. Right. Cause I think what you said earlier about having the room packed, I love packed rooms. And if I'm in a smaller room and I look at the schedule and I'm like, you know, I might actually pack this thing. Um, that will change what I wear, you know, because mm-hmm. it could be really hot there, all that sort of thing. So I think, you know, it's really being prepared, you know, like just like Sally, you know, have your outfit and all that sort of thing. I have that all figured out. And then the day before or the hours before I'm given it in my room. And then I usually um, put my headphones in, walk down to the venue. I usually have some sort of, I don't have a, I don't have a list, but it's whatever music uh, I'm into at that moment, right? That gets me really excited. And then uh, I really want to meet the person that's going to introduce me that kind of takes some of the jitters away, crack a couple jokes, talk a little bit. And then if I can meet some people there too. Yeah. So I, very similar in that sense. Mm-hmm. And then right before I go up, I really just try to center myself. Uh, I do some meditation in the morning, but also right before I go on, I'm just like, okay, you got this. Here's the things, you know, that this one section, you really got to bring energy, you know, bring people in and I think what's important about that is, and I'm sure you've had this happen, everything can be set up perfectly and all of a sudden, I gave a talk uh, last summer where everything was perfect and I went on and everything died. The projector died and I was giving a visual presentation to creatives about the design process. And I remember saying, all right, well, hey, we're all creative. We're gonna play uh, visual mind games. And since I don't have slides, I'm going to give you a description of our process and explain to you how amazing my slides were until they come back on. And actually, it was one of the most <laughs> fun talks I've had in a long time. You know, I, I, I talked to maybe a third of the content, but we had such great dialogue and people were excited. And I remember walking away thinking, there's something here I need to think through what just happened, because this could be a really great talk you know, somewhere else. And I haven't gone back to it yet. Um, but yeah. So, so was that spontaneous? Had, had you already prepared yourself that if ever anything like this happens, here's what I'll do? 
Or did you, did that occur to you in the moment to do that? Well, I would, I'd like to say I did for that talk, but I had not because for me, for whatever reason, I was so nervous about talking to other peers, you know, sometimes at a talk, there's, there's a mixture of marketing designers, you know, it's, but these were my local design friends, peers, competitors in my market. And I want to do a great job. And it never occurred to me because the venue rat was brand new. It never occurred to me that there could be a AV issue. Plus I was like the second speaker and it went beautiful. So, but I knew the content well enough. You said that earlier, like really know the content and believe in the content. So I knew it well enough that I thought I've never done this before. Everyone in this venue knows what just happened is everyone presenters worst nightmare. <laughs> so I just defined what the reality was like, all right, well, we're going to do this together. And at the very end, which was completely, you know, call it what you want, serendipitous, the ending story that I was talking about, I was able to go and show the results of what we did. And it was like this perfect ending. So one of my ideas was start a talk, basically turn the slides off or just go to a blank screen and say, okay, let's have an exercise together. And I'm going to take you through our process. Let's visualize what you think we did and then mm -hmm. show them what we did at the end. Uh, there's something there. I'm trying to still figure it out, but yeah, that was really, had it not pre been prepared or practiced, uh, it would have been probably a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's interesting. That's genius that you did that. I, you know, I think, I mean, I, I, I at tell people, I think I mentioned it in my last book, uh, you know, to, to prepare for disruptions. Uh, I mean, I have a couple of three stories that I have that I can tell if the, if the slide breakdown or if there's an audio difficulty, something that will fill that time. Uh, and so I think, or either I'll do a thing where I'll ask questions to people in the audience. Have you ever had a presentation problem like this and you get some great stories from people in the audience talking about their own disasters to fill the time until the tech can get it fixed or whatever so the best one i ever saw um you know brian tracy the speaker he's, he speaks mainly on sales selling he's a sales expert but he's he's a great speaker and i've he's been kind of my mentor off and on for years but one time i heard him speak and and there was a a guy came in the back of the room, a maintenance guy, and started working on the air conditioning unit. And he's got hammers and pliers, and he's making all kinds of noise back there. Brian tries to talk over him for a while, and finally he gives up. He takes his mic, a remote mic, goes back to the guy back there and starts interviewing the guy about what he's doing and what his job is like and how he got to do what he does. And, and it was a fantastic little five minute interview with this guy and Brian played it back into what he was talking about, about how this guy is trying to help us. And that's what you need to do for your customers. Mm. And sometimes it might interrupt them, but in the end it helps them. And I, I thought that was genius. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think well, being prepared for that kind of thing. You know, I mean, all of this is to say, Justin, you know, you have you have to systematize 
this whole process of speaking and making presentations, I think, you know, is, I heard a, a writing coach of mine, a professor years and years ago told me, a writer is a person for whom writing is more difficult than it is for other people. Mm. And, you know, that's true. You know, if, if you're not a writer, writing is easy. You just scroll something out and right. call it writing. But if you're a truly a writer, you edit and you rewrite and you rewrite and you edit and you rewrite. If you're a designer, a designer is a person for whom designing is more difficult than it is for other people. I mean, people who are designers, you know, get on uh, software and put something out and they don't think about typography or fonts or, or kerning or color theory or anything else. Um, and it's true with speaking. Mm. I mean, if you're not a real speaker or a good presenter, uh, it's not as difficult. So it becomes more difficult. It doesn't mean it can't be fun. It doesn't mean it can't be enjoyable. It doesn't mean it can't be rewarding, but it takes work and it takes a system and it takes a routine. And so that's what I've learned. And it, it takes a performance. <laughs> so it really back does. To part of this. Well, I want to, uh, now that we're on the show together and I have not been able to share this with you, I want to tell you something that's been really important to me. And that is there's several times where I know you're busy and or you've given your talk and you're leaving. And uh, there's some uh, speakers that you that we both know that we're all friends together. And we all talk about the fact that you'll pop in and, you know, whether you're in there for a minute or 10 minutes, and then you send us all a message afterwards. And uh, thank you for that. That's very, um, it just feels so good to know that, you know, here is uh, a friend, but also someone who we all believe is a very talented storyteller and speaker. And you're popping in to, to see how we're doing and saying hi. And, and your and your message always, are always really thoughtful. It's not like, hey, Justin, great job, um, which would be fine too. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, th that's been very inspirational to me to where I've started doing that for my friends uh, when I can't stay for the whole talk. And because I know uh, how much work goes into giving a presentation and how easy a presentation can go bad. And uh, so thank you. Well, thank you. That's, that's nice of you to say. I, uh, well, I mean it, you know, you're, you are, a, uh, it's, it's interesting how everybody develops their own traits and you, you come across as so sincere and I mean, you, so honest and that comes through and what you're talking about, the way you say it is, is, uh, I mean, you could you could sell handguns to Gandhi. I mean, it's you know, it's, you, you're such the sincerity is there, and and it's uh, it's amazing how you make use of your talent. So it's it's a pleasure well, to thank you for that. I wasn't searching for a compliment, but I will definitely oh, I know take that. that. I'll definitely take that. Sam, thank you so much. Uh, this has really been fantastic, and um, I consider you. Uh, um, a dear friend and, and someone who inspires me very much so and thank you for all of the kindness and support you've shown me personally and uh, I there's anytime I can return the favor uh, please um, make sure I'm on that list because I would be I'd be honored to oh you you've done that just by being my friend and, and I enjoy your company and enjoy your, all your wisdom and what you have to say and you know is the 
lifeblood of creativity. I mean, it's the jet fuel and, and you are a very curious person and, and, and you always ask good questions and always have great things to say that come out of the creativity and the, the curiosity that you have about life and you show it in all elements, both your work life as well as all you do in your volunteer work. So proud to be your friend. So well, thank you for thank having you. me. That means, that means a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you, Sam, for your honest and thoughtful encouragement. Anytime I know I will get a chance to hang out with you or listen to you talk, I see it as a gift. For more on Sam, his perspective, various books, or to hire him for coaching, teaching, or speaking, go to zingzone.com. Z-I-N-G-Z-O-N-E.com. I would also like to thank Sleeping At Last for providing our show soundtrack now in our seventh season. For more on Ryan and his music, please go to sleepingatlast.com or search for Sleeping At Last wherever you get your music. To design of audio engineer, Steve Wick, who's inspired by Sam's kindness and ability to stand in front of a crowd and inspire them. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. If so, please give us a ranking on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Tell us about our show and stay tuned for the next episode. Please follow us on Twitter at Design of Podcast and check out our site at rule29.com forward slash design of podcast. See you next episode.